Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mystical Musings, May 15th, 2016, here in the Mile High City in Denver, in the Walker Fine Art Gallery with Myron McClellan and me, Lawrence Phillips, now in our 13th year. We're here near the Civic Center heart of the city in one of Denver's oldest neighborhoods, the Golden Triangle known for its numerous art galleries, restaurants, and neoclassic architecture. Those of us who identify as spiritual but not religious, who are non-sectarian, non-denominational, non-doctrinaire, are the fastest growing demographic of sacred communities in America. Thank you for joining us today, creating our community of mystics, people finding unity with God, the breath of life, the gentle whisper, the great spirit. A community of mystics who know beyond the intellect, spiritual apprehension of truths. I am because we are. I am because we are one, celebrating body and spirit. Today's mystic portal is courage. In the face of religious and cultural dominance built around doctrine and sectarianism, it takes courage to be an outsider, a mystic who looks within for authority, not to dogma nor religious teachings, a very different perspective from those adhering to a creed that someone else has written and many follow. The mystic takes the road less traveled, and dares to be different from so many others. The mystic is an outsider who knows about persecution through the ages and courageously moves forward even through misunderstanding and ostracism, which can follow. With the cultural onslaught of the superficial and the glamorous, the mystic finds heart by moving into the depths of being guided by spiritual intuition, undazzled by the world of appearances. In the face of our living in interesting times, 
It takes courage to integrate the indeterminacy of a volatile outer world and to aim ourselves toward a peaceful inner life. In the face of fear, it takes big-hearted mystical courage to confront the demons within so that with perseverance, we might eventually find deepening wisdom and empowerment and meaning in our suffering and in our joy. Mystics dare to say an unconditional yes to life, despite its perils, even allowing the yes in despair, resentment, collapse. The mystic aims toward oneness, takes full responsibility for all that unfolds in life, conscious or unconscious, whether by our own agency or by that of another, finding in ourselves courage finding in ourselves heart, finding in ourselves the alchemy inherent in this here now. Each time the bell rings, for thee the bell tolls. Each time the bell rings, let yourself have some embodied response whether it is a deeper breath, a longer, taller spine, softening in the jaw, releasing any holding anywhere. Each time the bell rings, let there be an embodied response. Thesaurus courage, bravery, pluck, valor, not a word we hear much of in our contemporary age, intrepidity, didn't even know that was a word, <laughs> nerve, daring, audacity, boldness, grit, heroism, gallantry, a word from another era. Guts, spunk, moxie. Cajones, it's in the dictionary. It's in the dictionary. Balls, it's in the dictionary. And what should be in the dictionary, eggs. The origin of the word courage comes from the Latin core, heart. So when one has courage, one has heart. Some interesting heart facts. The heart begins to form in the fetus before the brain. The average heart beats 110,000 times a day, 40 million times a year, 3.5 billion times in a lifetime. Your heart produces enough power in one hour to lift 2,000 pounds, three feet off the ground, almost enough to lift a mid-sized car. 
The source of the heartbeat is in the heart, not the brain. When they do a heart transplant, they cannot reconnect the heart and the brain. The heart beats on its own. The electrical impulse of each heartbeat can be measured three to four feet from the body. The electrical impulse of the heart is 40 to 60 times stronger than that of the brain. It is many times stronger than any other electrical impulse in the body. The heart sends more information to the brain than the brain does to the heart. The heart's vascular system is 60,000 miles long and can wrap around the world twice. Different people or even different animals heart cells will all beat in unison in a petri dish. Different people's brain cells in a petri dish will not communicate with each other and will die. The electricity generated by the heart can be detected and measured in the brain patterns of another person nearby. The, the heart magnetic field is 5,000 times more powerful than the brain. So, ipso facto, we are born courageous. <laughs> Courage is a love affair with the unknown. So, when we're born, we're born courageous. Courage is always present. We need only get out of our own way, noting where we tend to get stuck, often with fear. When we face, feel, and more deeply breathe our fears, we naturally open to our own natural born courage. Courage for what? To deal with pain and suffering, the Buddha says life is suffering. There's big courage required for that one. Courage to face and feel and breathe into our being stuck, being in a rut, being fixated. Courage to begin something new. On a meta-spiritual level, we find courage to accept full responsibility for all that happens in our life. We evoke courage to learn something new, to be optimistic in a darkening world to be healthy in the face of so much disease, to let go of old habits, to embrace the mystic union, to be different from the norm and even from our earlier self. Courage for what? Courage to be and become. Courage to hold the paradox and still retain the ability to function. Courage above all else to love. Buddhism teaches that the four sufferings of birth, aging, sickness, and death are an inescapable part of life. The crucial thing is not to be defeated by them. Death inevitably comes to each of us, whether it is a time of inner dignity and honor or a pitiful demise is completely reliant on how we live our lives right now. Today, in that sense, the moment of death truly exists in this present moment. An awareness and understanding of death raises our state of life. 
when we are cognizant of the reality and inevitability of death, we begin to seek the eternal and become courageously determined to make the most valuable use of each moment in our life. We find courage as mystics to live below the surface of life, a surface seductively glamorized in our society. We live mystically in the depths, especially of emotion, with an ever-growing willingness to embrace the mystery, to embrace the light and dark, come what may, to open our hearts. What in daily life requires courage? This certainly depends upon our state of being, depression, anxiety, chronic pain, physical or mental illness, definitely they all change our perspective and requires more courage than if we're doing just fine, thank you very much. But what if we are just fine? What then is our need for courage? What then is our need for heart? So our koan, our puzzle, our Zen puzzle at the moment, for what now do I need courage? Namaste. So this is the last time we'll be meeting in this semester. Um, and so I just wanted to remember a little bit about what we've been thinking about for a few weeks. We began by talking a lot about loving the heart, loving our own heart. And so after Lawrence's description of what the heart does, <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll give you some love here. Yeah, making our heart feel loved, making the inner child in us feel embraced, making the inner child the object of our affection, one of the objects of our affection. And as we do that, then it, it goes out to the other hearts because our hearts are connected to every other heart. There's all in this room only truly one heart. And we're connected by that heart to the heart of God. And then we talked a little bit about taking it easy because we tend to work too much and struggle too much and not leave enough room in our life for playfulness, for joy, for recreation. And so we talked about play and having a playful attitude. Because when you have a playful attitude, when you're in that attitude, your vibration is at its best. It's, it's, it's maximum. It's maxed out when you're in joy. So just to remind us to take some of that with us over the summer um, so we can be playful, we can have joy, and we can love ourselves. I'm so glad you are all here. Thank you for coming.
Thank you, Myron, for creating these beautiful sounds, these beautiful sounds that take, uh, spontaneous beautiful sounds that take 70 years to create with all of our assistance in generating the field that Myron channels. Here in the early 21st century, one overriding global characteristic of which is the exponential pace of change. And in terms of daily life, the deluge of information. Internet, Facebook, apps, 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 TV, radio, newspapers, magazines, solicitations, the narcosis of surface glamour and the seduction of multitasking, being in so many places except for here, now, in this. With overwhelming change and the frequent experience of being deluged, what's a good mystic to do? Just how do we have the courage to find some quiet, some stillness, some calm, some deeper, active listening time, some peace? How do we find the heart to open to another kind of information, an informing of heart whence courage, if unimpeded, emerges naturally? Listening actively on the wings of deepening breath. Listening to the usually slower, apparent languor of heart that speaks often in small, still voices in a simple willingness to return to presence rather than obsessive thinking. Breath rather than doing. Stillness rather than cacophony. And yet be vigilant for evidence in an often darkening world for the positive, for the uplifting, even transformative gems of our awesome human experience. So for this month's candidate for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation, big corporations didn't used to be thought of as bearers of social justice, but that's just what is happening more and more all around America regarding lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender rights. This year in at least 25 states Legislators have proposed over 100 bills limiting LGBT rights, often in the guise of religious freedom. Four states have passed laws making it legal to discriminate against LGBT people. But something unusual has been happening with some of America's biggest companies pushing a progressive agenda, especially in the conservative heartland. Recently, executives from more than 80 companies, including what you might expect from Apple and Microsoft, but also Pfizer and Marriott, wrote the North Carolina governor, urging him to repeal the state's new anti-LGBT law. Deutsche Bank canceled plans to create new jobs. PayPal canceled plans for a new global center. In Mississippi, GE, Pepsi, Dow, 
can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> Attack the new law as bad for their employees and bad for business. Disney said that they would stop making films in Georgia. Some progressive business some progressive businesses uh, uh, are confronting in Indiana where at least a dozen conventions have relocated. And along the way, something funny happened. Georgia's governor vetoed the religious freedom bill, choosing instead to keep Disney's business. And after opposition from Citigroup, Wells Fargo, the South, the South Dakota governor vetoed a law against transgender people. Indiana and Arkansas amended their religious freedom bills after a corporate backlash led by, wait for it, Walmart. <laughs> While there is no federal LGBT anti-discrimination law, Three quarters of the Fortune 500 companies have policies forbidding it, and hence this month's obvious candidate for incipient evidence for mass positive transformation. Namaste. Oh, and <laughs> shalom. <laughs> Christ be with you. Assalamu alaikum. Adieu. Adios, aloha, namaste. We honor the place in you wherein the entire universe dwells. We honor the place in you which is of love, of truth, of light and dark, and of peace. As you are in that place in you and we are in that place in us, we are one together in our heart courageously exploring our mystic lives. Namaste. Often when I get before you to share, it's because I have had some experience in my life that really moved me forward in a dramatic way. And it's often something new. So I really had not thought for example, of loving my own heart. Now that I've done it, I can't stop doing it because it feels so good. And the same thing with talking about playfulness, having a, getting rid of the heaviness in our life because that slows us down on the path. Today, what I want to do is not to tell you, give you any suggestions of what to do, but to honor you as very courageous people. It takes courage to move on to a conscious spiritual path. Because once you do that, you're kind of on your own. And once you do that, you have left your old way of thinking. Takes a little bit to adjust to it, but I mean, you can't think the way you did. You can't feel the way you did. 
you certainly cannot approach the divine in the way you do. It takes courage to step outside of what our environment has been since we were born. So the hero's journey, which is the journey of courage, starts by leaving home. And home is everything we have thought or believed, everything we have felt. It's not just our parents and our siblings, though that's very true for some of us, um, because we can't believe the way they did before. And so... What happens when we leave our family and our tribe that we have been raised in is that we then go on a journey. And in the hero's journey, it's going into the far country. There are hero stories in every culture. Joseph Campbell wrote a book called Hero with a Thousand Faces. It all has the same sort of outline. So you leave home, and then you go into the far country. And into the far country, often what the far country is, is you're recovering from, you break from the home and you're beginning to discover who you are. That starts the inward journey and it takes courage because you don't have a book, a sacred book, you don't have guidelines, you don't have doctrines, you don't have tenets, all those things that can be very comfortable but that hold us back. So you're, you're in space unmoored. So, in the hero journey that we know best, probably, is the uh, biblical story of the prodigal son. He leaves home, and he goes into the far country, and the description of what he does there, it's all symbolic, is exactly what we've experienced time and time again, which is where we go into our own shadow. We go into learning about ourselves in an honest and open way, and that takes enormous courage, enormous courage to be who we are and see who we are and feel who we are. And if we feel, we're feeling who we are, we're feeling every feeling ever thought of, ever felt on the planet. We have a huge repertoire of feelings, and sometimes they can just be absolutely overwhelming. But we learn, if we turn our attention toward them and allow ourselves to feel them, allow ourselves to embrace them, and allow ourselves to embrace them as who we are, then we move forward again. So 
the hero's journey isn't just one journey. It's a journey we take over and over again because now we have a new home, which is a home in the mystical life, the experience of direct experience, the of direct connection to the divine. That experience of grace, that extraordinary sense of the peace that passes all understanding and the almost unbearable compassion we have for others and ultimately for ourselves. So that becomes the home and then we go to the far country again. The spiritual journey is not a linear journey. It's cyclical. It goes on and on and on. The good news is that there is learning along the way. There's spiritual learning, which absolutely changes our life and it makes each journey easier because we understand it more. So when we first go into incredible fear, existential fear, our thought is that that's where we are and that's who we are and nothing's going to change. We're going to live in that state of fear. Or we're going to live in that state of grief or that state of anger forever. But then what happens is that the light comes to rescue us again and we begin to feel joy. So the spiritual path is described in Hinduism and the earliest uh, religious thought as a journey of expansion and contraction. And if we stay in the distraction, if we love what is there, then the expansion becomes even more glorious. And as we expand, the expansion expands. So it keeps us going and it keeps us exciting. There's nothing about this path that is static. And that's one of the reasons we have to have courage because it's always going on, it's going on, and we make ourselves open to it. And we make ourselves open to it not just because of what we want to know in ourselves and what we want in, in the ways we want to redeem ourselves, but we know each time we expand that goes into the collective. Each time we open our consciousness and open our hearts, that makes a difference to the whole world. I'm not kidding. It makes a difference to the whole world. And that also inspires us to keep going. So I know looking out at you, I, look, I know so many tragic things that each of you has been through. And yet here you are, smiling, paying attention, being here now. And if we look back on our lives, we will see that the mistakes we made, the failures we had, those times of contraction can be much more educational 
even in the times of expansion. Not always, but often. So we don't want to give up the expansion, the, the contraction and just be an expansion until we all leave the earth. And then we've done our work, and then we can just expand and expand and expand. <laughs> so that's the promise, right? If you have courage, one of these days, it's just going to be expansion. Limitless expansion. Infinite expansion. I love the work that I do because I hear people's stories of the path they've been on and what it has entailed, of the disharmony it has caused at home, of the friends that we lose, of close friends who just can't go where we are. And they ridicule us often in good nature by saying we're like woo-woo or uh, space cadets or some term like that. And, you know, so we say, yes, I, that's who I am. And uh, I love you the way you are. So you don't need to expand the way I do or come on my path because I love you on your path. And I think your path is perfect for you. I do not proselytize. I absolutely support you where you are. But still, it's a shift. Now, what happens is that we bring together for ourselves a new family, a new tribe of people who have had similar experiences to ours. And it's just like you don't even have to work at it. It just seems that you magnetize it. You just need each other. When I first came to Denver, I. I didn't have, I had two or three friends who were on the path. And we used to hang out at Together Books and see if we could find some other uh, like-minded people. But before the year was in, we had a, a significant tribe. Significant tribe. And that tribe and that community are essential. Are essential to us. We just can't, we have to do it on our own in one way, right? But in another way, we can't do it on our own. We've got to be reassured. We've got to have support. We have to have people who do not think we are crazy. We have to have people we can talk to and exchange experiences with. So community is essential. So this being my community, when I go through any sort of rough patch, I turn to this community. When I go through a, a path of just incredible joy, I do it in this community. This community of people who have courageous souls, who are not afraid to feel their feelings, no matter how unpleasant they are and overwhelming they are, who are not afraid to look at themselves, because this path is all about the examined life. Plato said the unexamined life is not worth living. But the examined life takes a whole lot of courage. To look at yourself honestly 
and non-judgmentally, but to look at yourself and have these things come up that are not pleasant and it isn't a pleasant experience and an educational experience, but it's not a lot of fun. Fun comes later. But that takes courage. And that courage has to follow us the rest of our lives as we know that the way to God is through our heart. It's through our feelings. And so we will feel not only the difficult emotions, fear, anger, and grief, but we'll also feel a kind of peace that's just not available unless there's that oneness with the divine presence. It's just not available. You can't go to any of the brilliant psychologists and psychoanalysts we have in this room and have them bring you to peace. Psychological peace is not the peace that, that's kind of contentment, okay? But the peace that passes all understanding comes from being in the divine presence. That peace that we want to keep nurturing. And as we grow, we also expand into our ability to love. And the ability that I see in my clients and I see in this community, the ability to love, is astounding. And that takes huge courage to open your heart. And just open your heart and be there. And be in a, a place of love. To open your heart. Open your heart to the divine. Open your heart to yourself. Open your heart to your tribe. Open your heart to life. Open your heart to nature. Open your heart to art. Open your heart to all that is. Open your heart to people who are suffering. Opening your heart to the refugees. Opening your heart to the, the most humble person on the planet. And knowing that that person is just as worthy of love as anyone else on the planet. When you get to that place of unconditional love, which is a realization that we have on a spiritual path, then we use our courage to live a life of love. And living a life of love is the most challenging life you can have and the easiest life you can have. It's the most painful, and it is the most rewarding, the most joyous, the most joyful. And the more we grow in love, the more we want to grow more in love. And that serves me, and that serves my community, and that serves the world. So I just want to commend you all for having tremendous, tremendous courage to look at yourselves, to allow yourself to feel whatever it, that unpleasant feeling is, and having the courage to love and unfold all that is.
we often complete our service with embodied prayer. And so one of the ways that we've been learning is to respond to the bell with some sense of embodied response. Deeper breath, softer jaw, releasing in your fingers or toes. <clears throat> the attributions for quotations are behind me on the table here next to the donation bowl. For what might we want courage? For what do we want heart? It's so easy to lose heart in a, such a cerebral and surface-oriented culture. We do have it better than many here in Colorado, where nature calls us into deeper states of being, where the mountain holds precedence in our psyches, along with the forests and the streams and the valleys, as well as other remarkable flora and diverse fauna. Without such natural stimulation, the cynic can so easily emerge. We need heart and courage to stand strong in the face of the onslaught of media, politics, some of the insipid aspects of pop culture, as well as the ubiquitous obsession with glamour. Nature calls us heartward, beckoning us toward the source of our oneness, not our thinking minds, but our heart minds that which we know less directly than thinking, but much deeper, as the heart knows through emotions, energies, emotion. The heart knows through the quality of our embodied movements, as well as through sensations and feeling emotions. For what do we want courage? Certainly, to face the inevitabilities of old age, sickness, and death, but also just to take in the daily news to allow ourselves to stretch with compassion beyond the borders of our local lives, embracing the planet and beyond. We intend and pray for heart and courage to face our own deeper, often incomplete wounds of childhood, to keep breathing more fully in the face of emotional challenges of living in interesting times. And we need heart to take in the suffering of humanity, returning love and healing and peace. We need heart to be alchemists of the spirit, transmuting suffering into well-being. With heart and courage, we endure and integrate daunting indeterminacies in our age, radical climate change, nuclear proliferation, political polarization, asymmetrical warfare, exponential technological transformation. In the face of such bleak external forces, where else does a good city mystic go but inward? We are finding the courage to go inward, going under the surface with the willingness to go against the cultural and media grains of the external world. We are finding the courage to be good mystics as we are following our bliss, following our hearts courageously.
never be afraid to stand up for what you believe in. If people get angry, you can always pretend that you're just standing up to stretch. And the day came when the risk it took to remain tight inside the bud was more painful than the risk to blossom. Come to the edge. We can't, we're afraid. Come to the edge. We can't, we will fall. Come to the edge. We come, he pushes, we fly. Courage is the power to let go of the familiar. And the cell phones. There is no need to be ashamed of tears, for tears bear witness that we have the greatest courage, the courage to suffer. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. The opposite of courage in our society is not cowardice, it is conformity. Courage doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, I'll try again tomorrow. Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak and courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Courage is reckoned the greatest of all virtues because unless we have that virtue, we have no security for preserving any other. Our time is limited. Don't waste it in living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Courage is a love affair with the unknown. Namaste.